There's a way that memories come flooding back when you get together with old friends. I can remember going into that beautiful and eclectic old Victorian house at 1423 Elmwood. It was peaceful, accepting, and busy. The place where a million and one crushes collided. There was no single answer to any given question. We explored and it was a trip. The Crawfords embody our value words, inclusion, acceptance, equity, and love to a T and were for me, and I believe for many, a second family. They were new then, they're new now. This may sound a little bit mushy, but dang, it was magic, and we were there. Welcome to Evanston Rules. I'm Larice Bell, here with my co-inspirers, Michael Duvall and Ron Whitmore. Today, we are thrilled to be talking with a group of people we have known for many years and are lucky to be able to call lifelong friends. The Crawfords, <laughs> Sydney, the mom, Ron, the father, Susie, the eldest daughter, Jen, the middle child and daughter, and Ronnie, the youngest son, the only son and the youngest. So hello, Ron, Sydney, Susie, Jen, and Ronnie. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about all of you and your connections to Evanston. Let's go through one by one. And if you could each tell us a little bit about yourselves. Sydney, you want to start? I'm 85 years old and I still don't have an answer to that one. <laughs> I love that answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, life has been quite an adventure and one of the high points of that adventure was living in Evanston, Illinois. I mean, I've never been so grateful that we moved there when our children were younger and that we were able to have that experience and still have friends uh, uh, like you guys still. I mean, it's it just warms the heart. Susie? Hi, uh, I'm Susie and I'm the oldest daughter of Ron and Sydney and I still live in the area. I am a personal trainer and a fitness instructor. I have two children. Life is good and I'm happy to be here. Jen. Hi. I Hi. left Evanston in 1985, I think. And it took leaving to appreciate it. I go back now and I'm like, God, I hope I appreciated this place. I don't think I did, but now I really, really do. Thank God we grew up there because it was so integrated, which is unusual. And I find that it's not as much anymore. And I live in New York. I'm a prop and wardrobe stylist, single now, looking, you know, if you got any ideas, send them my way. <laughs> Forgot to have kids. <laughs> So, and life's good here. I've, I've been here since 85 and I still am loving it. Some days you hate it, you know, but I don't know where else I'd go. Maybe back to the Midwest. I'm not sure. But anyway, here I am. Ronnie? Northern California, shout out from the one and the youngest, <laughs> the only and the youngest. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. Evanston has forged my heart, you know, every time I go back, it just feels so good. And uh, I'm a musician, and I've been blessed to be able to do a lot of amazing things in the music world. And I uh, have a life partner and a stepson and an amazing granddaughter, and life is good. Life is good. Well, last but not least. I'm the patriarch of this outfit. There <laughs> you go. Right. <laughs> I think, is that the right word? I think it is. So uh, I've, we've been here now for, uh, almost 30-some years, which is amazing. And uh, I'm a, uh, still the, the artist and the actor, once in a while a film, 
and uh, I just just finished it playing Einstein in a play that was great um, and uh, yeah it, everything is terrific really is uh, we we are now uh, great grandparents of a remarkable little boy uh, and uh, it's it's wonderful and I, I always say about Evanston I go anywhere in the world and if there's six people gathered one of them is from Evanston <laughs> Yeah, indeed. It's amazing. Right. You have quite an extraordinary six degrees of separation. Yeah. Right? And when we haven't been connected for a certain amount of time, it's almost like we can fall back in to the conversations and memories and relationships. And when we were talking about people we wanted to have on, obviously all of you were at the top of our lists. One of the things we noticed certainly was when we got all of your bios, we could put all of those on top of each other and they would almost read the same. That's about consistency and respect. And it's pretty amazing. You certainly provided us with a really wonderful space. The Crawford House was that house. And I think we all felt pretty lucky to be a part of it. Ron and Sydney, your upbringings, were they at all like that? Is that what informed you guys? Not even close. <laughs> Neither one of us. No, I spent years in starting at five years old in boarding schools out of state from uh, my family, which probably is what saved me. And um, the uh, you know we we my stepfather was in the oil business, so we hopped from place to place all the time. Although I was always in some school somewhere, from Kentucky to Tennessee to um, to Texas, to back. So, no, I mean, I guess maybe that's part of what, you know, we were, I was looking for, and certainly Ron, too, to, to have a place where we could be all together and stay and, and, uh, and you know, and not lose, not lose each other. I guess that's, that's my feeling. And Evanston really provided that for our family. And so did that house. That was a great house. Mm -hmm. Mr. Crawford, what say you? Well, uh, no, my parents were uh, were odd people. So yeah, at least you know we we got that from them, <laughs> that we weren't we weren't your average family. And uh, my father was a musician, so there was always the house was full of music. And um, but we lived in the middle of nowhere near the Everglades, so there there was not a lot of people around. And um, I would say uh, uh, my father would be a Trump supporter now. So, so and, would mine. Yeah, yeah. and uh, alcohol defined a lot of things happening for both Sydney and I. So that, that was, that's what got us together. <laughs> <laughs> what helped you be consistent in terms of how you brought your children up uh, in Evanston? Oh, you should ask them. <laughs> <What we consistent? laughs> Jen's got the talking stick. Yes. <laughs> Not in a bad or negative way. There was nothing consistent. But that's what was consistent. Yes. <laughs> made it amazing, colorful, flavorful, great experiences. But we went through all their changes with them and all their phases and all their ther years of therapy. So we just had to drag along with them. But it was great. I mean, in the end, it was great. But it, it wasn't always easy, I'll tell you that right now, but that's normal, right? Yeah, that's, that's very normal. Yeah. I grew up over there in South Evanston, right? And 1423 Elmwood was uh, such a 
place to build community and to create connections. What do you remember most since your house was really the house of community? Major hang. Suze, you go first. Uh, well, I'm, as being the oldest, um, I, oh, uh, yeah, it was a, a community house where um, people came, I think, to feel included and feel safe. Um, that in itself creates an interesting dynamic <laughs> when <laughs> a lot of people there that um, they're in an environment that they may not be used to that uh, in their own life. And so sometimes um, things would get out of hand because <laughs> um, people were really not quite sure how to handle it uh, because we were very open and um, accepting. So, but on the flip side, uh, those experiences have created who I am and have taught me uh, so many things about the, the wonderful color of everyone. That's what I remember most is those gatherings. Uh, with all those different types of people and the experiences that we had surrounding good, bad, and all that. Well, it, our house was very extremely diverse. Artists, you know, people from Northwestern. Just, it, uh, our friend, a friend of ours wrote a piece about the Crawford House and called it a salon and how people would come and, you know, educate each other and there were parties and there was art projects and it, it was in stream of that for as you know, as far as I can remember. Uh, and that part was totally amazing. And that extended to all of my friends who felt really welcome to be, you know, around and uh, enjoy the environment, which was, you know, pretty inviting. So loved it. I definitely feel like I grew up with like about 40 siblings. <laughs> it's not just the three of us, which I'm I'm not angry about. I mean, it was like I said, it was never always easy. There was times where I'm like, oh, I just would love an empty house or my own room or, but at the same time, I wouldn't change a thing. But I used this is kind of a funny thing. And then a lot of my friends' parents wouldn't allow them over because they didn't understand why everyone had so much fun at our house. <laughs> so one of my really good friends, her parents were convinced that we had a drug ring and prostitution on the third floor. <laughs> Half a third floor, but that was circulating around for a good long time. Like there must be something going on there. But anyway, it just, it was fun. It was, you can imagine, it was a little bit of everything going on. Yeah. I always wondered about that third floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sir and Mrs. Crawford, what did neighbors say about your house being a place of diversity and inclusion well we had we had different neighbors at different times one was a motorcycle gang that uh oh, and druggies yeah and they yeah. sold heroin so you know when we used to put towels under the door if we, if we smoked a joint we, we when these guys were busted for heroin i guess we didn't worry about that anymore but <laughs> <laughs> then mr thompson moved in next door the, he, he was the funeral director his motto was live and let live which i loved <laughs> And, uh, and he loved it. He loved us. He loved the house. He loved all the people over there. He was a, a great, great neighbor. Yeah. 
and the other neighbor was um, was Susie's uh, landlord for a while, but he was MIA. He he didn't live close, and and that house was always there were all kinds of uh, characters in and out of that house. Yeah. Don't forget about the candle factory on the other side. Ooh. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have been away for a long time, Jennifer and Ronnie. When you meet people, what do you tell them about Evanston? What do you tell them about how you grew up? I usually start with it's very idyllic setting, you know, the lake. And uh, then I usually goes right to diversity and the high school and every kind of kid. And it just was like growing up that way wasn't a conscious thing other than I had friends all over the place. And it just was. It seemed like that was normal. You know what I mean? So there's a rich culture in Evanston that I, I always talk about. And, you know, I just get chilled when I go back. I love it. It's uh, it's a, still a great place as far as I know, you know, cause my sister still lives there, but uh, I give it a thumbs up. Jennifer. You're here. I agree. I mean, I not intentionally, but I never dated a white guy my whole entire time in Evanston. <laughs> because there's so men, much diversity. And it's funny to me that I end up moving to New York City and married a white guy, which I think is pretty ironic and funny, but it's true. So do we. So do we, by the way. <laughs> me too but i mean not many people can say they grew up in an environment like that and especially i think at that time you know when there was a lot of politics going on and still people were trying to you know, it was so that i appreciate more than anything and i thank ron and sid for moving there for that reason alone that was their main drive main reason to move there and I really appreciate it. And correct me if I'm wrong, you who are still there, I feel like when I go back now, I love it. I get such a great feeling, so many memories. I still love it. But I do, I feel like it's more segregated now than it was when I was growing up. So you let us follow up, I say let's follow up quickly on that because I, I am um, interested in uh, Mr. and Mrs. Crawford. Uh, we are in a time of uh, pretty depolarization you know, globally, one would add in the U.S. in particular, what were the reasons that you moved to Evanston and then how do you see that going forward? What were, what were your ex practical examples or a few things and tips that you would give current Evanstonians? Well, it was right at the height of the, of the civil rights struggle. We just, we, we lived way out in Barrington, which is all white, all rich, and uh, it was boring as could be. So we were looking for not only uh, racial diversity, but an interesting place as well. And economic and everything. Yeah, yeah. so we, we uh, looked in downtown Chicago. Hyde Park. Well, yeah, we looked at Hyde Park. Yeah. But then we also looked at some of those groovy places near Cubs Park and all that. None of those compared to Evanston. And Evanston won out easily. And, and so we, the, it was a Dewey Community Conference, conference that, that really settled it and we uh mm -hmm. that's 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 how we got started and in getting involved and, and uh it was a good decision absolutely yeah. yeah it was uh yeah i mean the dewey i mean that was pretty unique in in suburban uh life at that time the dewey community conference you know they were they had 
banded together to fight the realtors, as you know, because they were redlining all the housing in Evanston. And uh, so that was, uh, that had a big influence on us. And on those people were just terrific. You know, everyone that was involved in that. And so how did you find your way there? We went around and, and we met people and talked to people and we just said, this is it. This is where we have to be because they were just beginning school. And we just wanted to change their whole, you know, environment uh, within their school experience. And it wasn't happening out in Barrington or St. Charles or some of the other places we were living. But Ron, also you were a cameraman looking for work. So the Chicago area had way more opportunities, correct? Yeah, I, I started working for an educational film company that, um, I didn't make a lot of money, but boy, I sure shot a lot of film and it was a great experience. <laughs> uh, I was able to work at home. In fact, I've never had a job, actually. You know, parents would come over and they say, your husband's around all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that was always the first question they'd ask me. I'd say, yep, yep, he's here, he's here all the time. <laughs> I want to go back to Jennifer. You mentioned um, coming back to Evanston after you've been away for some time, noticing that it was kind of, or that it was a lot more segregated. What stood out in your observations? It seems all white to me now, especially the neighborhood we grew up in, all around Nichols, all around the high school, downtown Evanston. Like every time I'm back there, ask Susie, I'm like, where did everybody go? Mm. You guys know? I mean, do you feel that way? Do you notice it? It can't just be me. Ron? Well, I don't know. I, it's funny. I was going to say, well, where I live, I don't have enough black people. So when I get to Evanston, I just, it's like, oh, far out. I'm home. So that I have a, you know what I mean? It's like, I've got that to balance Jennifer's thing. She's probably more accurate. Susie, you've stayed around for some time. Have you noticed a difference? Well, I mean, the housing situation, the, the price of housing has increased dramatically, especially in the areas that Jennifer was just talking about. All around those I mean, I, I, it seems like everybody's pushed back over by the high school again. Fifth Ward. Yeah. That's the Fifth Ward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, that's happened again where there was some infiltration of all sorts of people into the, the whole area. But because of it's so expensive, that's part of the reason I moved out. I moved into Rogers Park because it's just expensive and um, I wasn't happy with the way the city was handling things and uh not the chicago's well they got a lot more to deal with but uh you know i just i didn't see this inclusion i saw that disappearing and so i was like <laughs> i'm getting out of here well i was going to say one of the ron being a filmmaker we were able to make the history of evanston film and we spent a lot of time at the Historical Society. I don't know what the heck they've done with the film now, but it, it does exist. And we, we tracked Evanston back to ooh, way long before there was what Ridge Avenue was actually a ridge and, and the WCTU because a lot of the men would go out at night, get drunk and die in the snow. And so that was one of the <laughs> one of the impetus for the WCTU. And one of the other interesting things is that most of the uh, black population had lakefront housing because uh, all the white folks thought that uh, the lake caused tuberculosis. And then mm. finally, 
and they figured out that wasn't true, that's when they started moving the population further and further west inside the city. Mm. And all of this is in the film, you know. Um, but the black population had been there since the 1860s. Yeah, yeah. it's been there. You know, it's, it was established early, early, early. You know, part of our podcast, you know, one of the goals, as we said, is really look at the duality of Evanston, right? Trying to get it from different perspectives. With that untold story that you just mentioned about the film, how would you communicate that reality to Evanston and trying to create an environment that celebrates how you guys raised your children, how you guys have lived, and how you've kind of made Evanston a reality for inclusion and diversity? That would be an interesting challenge, I'm telling you, yeah. Because a lot of people didn't agree with us, you know, like uh, Jennifer and Susie and Ronnie said, I mean, we were accused of a lot of things going on in our household. I would, I guess I would talk about how enriching it was for how our children grew up and, and the attitudes they have and that if it had not been for growing up in Evanston, I don't think it would have been the same at all. And it's kept us involved over the years in civil rights and in politics. And I do wish every human being here in this country were involved, but they're not. But um, we keep pushing. And that's part of what came out of our experience in, in, in Evanston. We're all here and we see Evanston as being a place where we have been able to be included, where we have felt equity. We've also seen some of the other sides. But so though you all moved into Evanston because of what you saw as the positives, Jen, as you were speaking of, like not seeing so many people of color, not seeing black people as much, and Susie, you talking about how people are being moved out. Obviously, we see it one way, and people, there are plenty of other people who see it another way. Do you feel that there have been advances? Do you feel that we've gone backward? Mm, that's a tough one. I said status quo. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's like an ebb and flow. It, it's like we get, we get a bunch of steps forward, and then we take a few back, and then we go forward again and take a few back. That seems to be how the world is in general. But um, so that's just a microcosm of, of what I think happens. I mean, look where we're at right now. I mean, we've taken 20 steps backwards right now. And mm -hmm. fortunately, and it's people like us here that have to keep the fires alive and make sure that people understand that we are all in this together. And Evanston's pretty amazing as far as this microcosm of that. What was the first time that you noticed that it wasn't equal for everybody? Uh, I had a wonderful fifth grade teacher named Mr. Johnson. Uh, he was awesome. He was at Dewey. But I noticed pretty quickly that, you know, I had these things and other people didn't have these things and there tended to be a difference in the skin color. <laughs> And then I also, I went into Nichols uh, after that. And um, again, it's, you know, the same things. I was more fortunate to have these things. Other people were not. What did I think of it? I mean, because of the way these two approached life and taught us, uh, my heart was open and I had my ass kicked in junior high, like seriously, by a young lady who actually I saw probably 
12, 13 years later. And she like almost tackled me with a hug, you know, so adapt or perish. I mean, that's really what happened. When this person, not that I'm asking you to name her name, but do you remember her? And so when that happened, how did you feel and what happened for you? It didn't change my attitude in a racial way. Mm -hmm. I don't think. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. But no, I mean, I didn't like, oh, I don't want to talk to those people anymore. You know, it was a very sad and unfortunate, intense situation. And I stayed away from her. I remember that those instances, we came home and talked about it. Mm. Susie mentioned that she didn't say, I'm not going to hang out with those people because of this incident by this one person. How, as parents, did you help coach her through that dialogue? Well, it's interesting. I think Susie just had an innate understanding herself and she was able to express what had happened. And we talked about it, you know, that there are good people and bad people everywhere. And, and that's, you know, that's life, right? Yeah, equity action happens, I think, at the point when you're confronted with a situation and you have to have the equitable conversation. How did that resonate with you, Ronnie and Jennifer? Experiences where you may have had some difficulty or noticed something being different? Well, I was just thinking about how young I was when my mom said every gun I destroyed, I could get like two matchstick boxcars. But it's like, they were political from way, way on. So I think that there was an awareness, a different kind of awareness about what was going on. And then, you know, having friends come over, I feel like Nichols is where I had a lot of friends' houses where you're like, fuck, this is bad. The plumbing does not work here. You know, like that kind of thing was sobering to go over there after school. So there, there were moments like that for me, for sure. And yet you went to those homes, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And besides seeing that, what did you feel? Were you welcomed? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the key word, is welcoming, you know, making people feel like they're not being uh, driven up. And because uh, a, a lot of the kids that came to our house were rich white kids, and they, they didn't feel safe in their own house. Yeah. And they would come to our house and, and pretty soon they were sitting and playing with everybody else and darning stuff on their jeans and, you know, things that they have never, never done in their whole life. In fact, the police department, which they was to bring kids. Home. Yeah. They, they didn't know what to do with the kid. They'd send them to our house. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a stipend? Right. Right. <laughs> I got nothing. We should have. <laughs> Mr. Crawford. Well, you got us. <laughs> Mr. Crawford. Yeah. You got memories. Mr. Crawford, when Ronnie came home and and talked about the homes that he had visited and there was no water or there was some dire straits, what what was your conversation with Ronnie? About economics. Well, yeah, just uh, that's that's a dreadful situation in America and it's still that way. Uh, it's, It's terrible. It's an economic situation. What gave you the wherewithal to encourage him to go back? Never occurred to us not to. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, Ronnie was safe and take care of himself. There, there are a lot of memories I have in uh, Everson. One of them is that you're, uh, it taught me that soul does not have a color. 
And uh, I think your house represented that. And uh, if you went to the Crawfords, this whole notion of welcoming and belonging and being in a safe place, I think was a great memory. And friends disappear. You know, where are some of the people who disappeared and why? Friends Um, disappear written by Mary Barr, fellow Evanstonian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the book that Mary wrote, uh, which is on your stairs, by the way, you know, we look at some of those people and uh, who disappeared and why. I was thinking of Bernie. Bernie's still around. We lost Perky. Jennifer and I went to see Perky when he was still uh, in the hospital. And uh, he was in a coma. But I'm telling you, he, he kind of brightened up when he heard Jennifer's voice. Um, then Chip, we lost Chip. I talked to Chip on the phone. Chip Sexton? Yeah, about, uh, it's been several years now. He was in bad shape, physically. Mm. Uh, I love Chip and his little platform shoes. (laughs) (laughs) So we still didn't get your answer, Jennifer, about um, when you became aware. Way back, because there's so much, we don't have enough time. We need like 10 years. Like when we first moved to Evanston, Sydney became a social worker on the south side of Chicago, which she didn't mention. So we used to take these sisters on family vacations with us. So here we're traveling through, you know, the Midwest and we have these two little black girls with us and people were just like, what (laughs) is happening here? We were ahead of the curve. You're never ahead of the curve when you're a humanist as you guys are. Exactly. You're never afraid to be ahead of the curve. That's the beauty in your humanism. That too. That's it. I remember that as far back as I can remember liking ice cream. You know what I mean? Like to me, it was just normal, you know, and then you get older and you start to look around and realize how lucky we are. And it really does boil down to then and still now, unfortunately, the color of your skin, you know, and we all really, really realize that. And I wouldn't, I mean, of course, and I'd love to hear your guys' opinion, and mm-hmm. not a hundred percent across the board, but it is still an issue always has been and who knows when it's going to end. And then there was times I even felt guilty. I was like, Oh my God, I feel guilty. I'm white and I have things. And so that was a phase I went through that I thought, well, maybe I don't need to feel guilty, but then it, you know, we just always wanted to help people and make people aware. And You wanted to let people in. And it didn't matter who they were or what they had or did not have. You were able to let them in. But I I know we talked earlier, right? I keep going back to the word consistency, right? It's often easy for us to close the eye to the realities of what's happening in America or what's happening to people that may not look like you and may not have what we have. Ronnie Crawford, yep. I want to go back to the level of consistency. Or, or have you ever been in a situation that you have had to stand up for what you know is fundamentally and morally right? Yeah, we've certainly experienced that a lot growing up. And uh, it's terrifying. And it's also the right thing. And I personally, I don't think it ever gets less terrifying. People are nuts. You know, like you said, it's, it's the power of love has to be spread, right? And it's our weapon that's so powerful. And uh, I would, that sums up my folks, you know, in so many ways. 
just constantly being open and giving. And that's really, to me, our weapon in terms of turning this thing around globally. And I give your parents all the props too, but you know, we all have choices. So as wonderful as it is that you were provided with a home that allowed people in and where you went to other people's homes and embraced that, you've all grown up and you've made choices to become people who spread that. Well, and we had choices, which is a whole other conversation, but yeah. And I respect all of you so much just for that. I love you, brother. I love you too, man. Yeah, I mean, the Whitmore house, I have lots of memories. There was a boxing ring in the basement. (laughs) I remember a sleepover. I woke up at the bottom of the bed, trapped under the sheets, (laughs) screaming until they got me out. I mean, like I have memories of hanging at their house. And, you know, so, I mean, they had that same attraction of community that we've been talking about this whole time. And that's all it was. There was no color involved. It was, you know, yeah. It was organic and, and authentic. Yep. And your mom was so great. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, your mom had <laughs> rules. And she was tough. And I loved it. I was like, wow, this is the other side of the coin. Yeah, those, <laughs> those are some serious rules. God rest her soul. We yeah. never had a single rule. Mr. Crawford, when I go back, uh, there's a a little Evanston store downtown. And it's uh, interesting to me because some of your iconic drawings are still around. I'm interested in what inspired the drawings and the caricatures. I mean, for a long time when I was in Evanston, that, that, was, that was the iconic uh, picture you wanted in your house. Absolutely. <laughs> like Absolutely. you wanted to get one of those and put that thing in your house. Let's go back and tell us what inspired uh, your drawings and your caricatures. Well, uh, Evanston inspired me. It, it had such charm. There were little nooks and crannies and, and houses and strange things and, and, uh, and the, the train tracks totally inspired me. The fact that they were raised and there was bridges at like every street and, and you, could, you could ride the train and, and see two streets coming together at an intersection from the train. It was just magical to have that thing run, run, running right through the through the town and, and been there for a hundred years. And, and then the, the houses that, would, that were built along the train tracks a hundred years ago, still there. And all of those things fascinated me. I loved the, the, the history that you could see just find in a drawing of, of a house, even though there's a, a modern car parked in front, the house is still a hundred years old, you know, and it looks looking like it did when it was there. And then also when I started drawing, I would draw a house, an old Victorian or something, and the next day it was gone. So I thought, I better draw these things before there's none of, none of them left. But it, it's, I think the quirkiness of the town is what attracted me. It still does. They still think we live there. Yeah, there's people that didn't know I moved. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are inspiring. I, I just say to people, if you have not, uh, to the listeners, if you haven't looked at those, I, I, you know, I don't know how many you sold of those, Mr. Crawford, but it's awesome. Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Crawford, what would you tell new parents or parents in Evanston about raising their kids? Well, the best words I've heard today are, the soul has no color. Just keep that in mind. And that's, that's as far as skin color or, or religion or, you know, where you're from or your attitude is, is, you're another human being, for goodness sakes, you know, just accept it at that. 
And welcome, welcome people yes. of that. That's the other thing I, I agree with, you know, Jen and, and Ronnie and Susie that you feel the change, but you know, there is still diversity in Evanston. I mean, like the woman who runs the little gallery where Ron has, she's from India and her, her two children, you know, and they live in Evanston. And, and when we came back last summer and had that sidewalk sale, there still were, you know, there were so many different faces and headdresses and everything. So it still exists. And I would hope that Evanston would learn to, to just so celebrate and encourage that, that mm -hmm. because it is unique and it's uh, historically been that way in the city and it just must be maintained at, you know, for, for children's sakes. Awesome. What advice would you give young Evanstonians today about growing up in Evanston? Susie? I was, I was going to say um, when we were on that reality TV show. <laughs> <laughs> There's another whole program. Yeah. <laughs> that is a, another program. <laughs> and we were dealing with, um, we were having the transgender conversation. Uh, the high school, kudos to the high school and to those, because there were kids that are there and they're, they're dressing the way they want and they're being who they are and him, her, she, and all that stuff. And the high school's embracing that. And uh, so bravo to them. I, I learned that while we were filming that show. And I, I think that was wonderful. Jennifer? Oh boy. I would say keep your kids in public schools. Yes. Private, because those all tend to be rich white people. And get out there and experience other people in neighborhoods and don't shelter your children, which I think a lot of people probably still do, you know, when it comes to many categories religion, color, everything. But hopefully they're exposing them to many different experiences and people. And Ronnie? Uh, I would tell people of Evanston now to, su to support the arts, to support community activities, to support things that, you know, post virus will bring people of Evanston together and then everyone can see who are there. They're living among, you know, amongst them. And that would be a, a positive thing, I think, for everybody. Um, that's sort of my one thought that came to mind. Awesome. I do want to make one comment about Mary Barr's book in the cover. The whole basis of that book was we were looking at this one photograph and we both were like, why is every white female in this photograph successful and the guys are not and some are dead? So we just that opened up like that whole can of worms that we've all just been discussing so my question would be what defines success and jen i think you remember when we were at ucla and mary was speaking one of the questions about the book was from a woman who said i see you've got white girls here and black boys here what happened to the black girls and it's an uncertain answer i guess during the 70s and things were certainly different, but why do you think so, Jen? That's a loaded deep <laughs> question. Oh boy. 
Uh, that's a tough one to answer. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to have a different opinion than somebody else. And I'd love to hear what Ron and Michael think. But mm -hmm. I found it interesting that the guys, I think, were attracted to white females. And I don't know if it's because it was like something maybe they felt like they could never have or a lifestyle they don't have or know, you know, and then in return, there were many years, like Susie said, I was threatened a lot because I would date an ethnic guy, not just even black, anyone ethnic. And then I was often threatened, like you're taking my guy. And I'm like, well, I can't help it if he likes me, but, but I also understood it, if that makes sense. But that's definitely a very interesting subject and question, and we were friends with a lot of black girls, but I would definitely say more guys, more of the guys. Hmm. And I don't have all the answers, but there's probably a lot behind it. So I think access um, and opportunity um, is a reality of all of ours, right? Um, and I don't think it's a matter of not wanting to date within your race. I think that whether you're attracted in your race or whether you're attracted outside of your race or if you're attracted in both, those relationships happen, right? Um, I know that uh, uh, white girls that I dated, I know that there were a lot of white guys that were pissed off about it. Um, I think the beauty in having conversations with people that may look differently from you is just that, having those conversations. And you kind of find common ground. If there's attraction, there's an attraction. It shouldn't really matter about color, but we know we live in an America that makes every decision based on color, right? And, and economic status. Oddly enough, I don't know that I discovered, well, so let me just be clear. I, oh, I see color, but I think I discovered white girls and, and other girls in high school, but I dated a lot of black girls. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I always tell people, and I've told her this so I can say her name, Aya Takata, I actually had a really strong crush on her in middle school because we lived in South Evanston. I think also it was just this willingness to be able to travel through the town, this little eight square mile town. And the exploration became more about the neighborhood and crossing over the north side or getting into the middle of Evanston uh, and getting out my little, you know, little quadrant over there. What I loved about crossing over is people would give back to me things and I would I always say to Peter Borzak, I never knew what Kraft single cheese was in a wrapper until I went to his house. Because we used to, you know, my father was auto mechanic. My, my mother was uh, 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 cleaned houses. And uh, we had block cheese, right? We'd go down to Central School and get the government block cheese. And so he'd come over and he would tell me often, hey, the cheese is really good. I said, dude, I love that little single wrapper. Like, where did you get that? <laughs> and so I think it was just this exploration for me, of uh, being able to cross over without barriers. But also I think our, our households too, um, and going back to Mr. and Mrs. Crawford, right? Color really doesn't matter, right? People are who they are. And those ideas were the same ideas that we had in our house. And then when we grow up, we find out that it's not necessarily that way outside of the homes. And so much <laughs> more needs to be done. Having grown up and being uh, black and having also a white father, I found that 
being friends with a lot of with a lot of you and basically following all of you around Jen, you know, I mean, who didn't have a crush on Jennifer Crawford? But, you know, I you know <laughs> you know, so I loved being in your house. I loved that there was a mother in the house. I loved that there was a father in the house. I loved that whatever difficulties you guys were there for each other and you showed up. You know, in addition to you guys, there were other families that really made Evanston home for me. And that's what I think of when I think of growing up. People like the Fosters, the Robinsons, the Johnsons, and the Kahlbergs. And in answer to the idea of, or the statement of there not being Black girls, and there were white girls and Black boys, you know, I often felt like I walked on both sides, where I wasn't Black enough for some, and I wasn't white enough for others. And Certainly, I noticed that there might have been fewer Black girls there. And in answer to some of that, I, I would say that from a lot of my friends, I know that Black girls were expected to go home, get the work done, get the studies done. And certainly, we went out. But was there room for us in that space? I'm not sure. I know that in terms of dating and being interested in boys, I was interested in white boys and Black boys. I primarily, as you all know me, my history was dating black boys, but I had the freedom to make my choices. And I thought that was really important. Oh, no, that's such a great point. Um, And I I didn't even think of that. Um, Well, I went to senior prom with Dion King, who... um, What? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and his father's a wonderful person. And as you know, maybe uh, he had four brothers and his father raised them by himself. But what I, <laughs> everything was so much more interesting with a black boyfriend, the music, the parties, the, the, uh, the music, especially that I couldn't find that with white people. I, 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 I craved that, um, that realness, that going to parties o- during the high school over at uh, John Ingram's house. Um, just, just, it's so rich. Everything was so rich and uh, those textures just did not exist uh, in, in the white world. And uh, I really, uh, I still am, I dance. I, st- I that's what I do for a living. I dance. I was I was desperate for dance and music and and I wasn't getting it over there. So <laughs> Jennifer? I just want to add I could not agree more with Susie. That was I agree with everything she said. I felt the same way. And to this day, I talked to Ronnie a lot about this. I mean, at least 10 times a day, I say Black people laugh more than white people. They just seem like they're having more fun. In just like walking down the street, the laughter is just so genuine to me. And I do feel like overall, in my upbringing in life and experience, I just think overall white people are more reserved. You know, whatever that is, and I know this might sound weird, but this is how I feel. And then on another note, the only reason I had so many girlfriends is because everyone wanted to date Ronnie. <laughs> Indeed, who didn't have a crush on Ronnie was, Crawford? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was wondering, needle, baby. I was wondering why you were so quiet, Ronnie. Tell us, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your experience. 
thread the needle, baby. Thread the needle. That they had it was true that they had crutches on you or I mean, in the same way Michael was saying exploring or interests and crossing over and it's the same thing of being curious and wanting more and wanting a, a wider berth, you know, and, and a, a bigger purview of, of people and, and cultures and all that. And absolutely, that was our thing. And, you know, it was awesome. And, 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 and that is, to me, what community is. And, you know, I've certainly taken that with me out of Evanston, but it's, it's where I learned it. I would just like to say I am so proud of my children. <laughs> the, the, the things that they have expressed is, is marvelous. I mean, I, I guess I knew that, but to hear it in their words is, is uh, well, I'm, I started to cry here and I'm trying to gather myself back together. So it's just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Evanston should learn from that. <laughs> Mrs. Crawford? Evanston, first learning its history and that the new people that are there now, uh, I wish that, that they had more of an understanding of the history of the city and what has made it so rich and attractive and, uh, and it has been because of the diversity. I don't think there's any question about that. That's what has uh, made it a, a gem and it, it's so rare. Uh, that's the other thing. I mean, it, it, you just don't find that kind of a, a situation and environment and especially if you're raising children uh many places and that's what i and i would i want evanston to embrace that concept and as susie said you know they are in in, in ways that that i'm not aware of now because we've been gone so long but i was really happy to hear that about uh, the high school and and the whole thing about transgender and things like that because that's also part of the fight of inclusiveness. And so that's what, uh, that would be my feeling to, to learn the history and then uh, repeat it. <laughs> yes. Susie? I wanna just make a point that my, you know, my dad's worked at home and he's an artist and all three of us are artists. We were educated because of what was around us. We did some college, but our richness comes from our experiences. And I fear that Evanston is going down this road with Northwestern and, you know, the Northwestern's becoming more integrated into Evanston, which is very interesting. And that rat race that you have to do this and you have to do that and you, you have to have five hours of homework. And I would love to see Evanston just back up. And they, they made a, attempt at it because i've been to a couple of meetings at the high school uh but that pressure to just just push and you end up leaving so many people behind you don't need that to be a happy successful person and i think that is so important and i would love to see evanston be a leader in that not a follower of this rat race it's just nuts nuts jennifer oh boy i <laughs> wish everyone in evanston now could get into a time capsule and go back to the 70s and just see what it was like and experience that and recreate it is what i really think 
I mean, I'm even heartbroken when I see all the great little individual stores are gone, everything's just all turning in, like downtown Evanston. It's just all chain stores now and high rises. And so I wish that they would be able to go back and see what was happening then and bring some of that back in. And um, yeah, and I did feel like growing up, there was that weird disconnect with Northwestern. And that's like such a whole different kind of person coming into Evanston. But like I said, you know, I only come now and visit. I have the best time. I would think it's still a great place to raise your family. And I love seeing everybody from the past. And I know I can always talk to people, doesn't matter how many years go by. But I just hope that doesn't all get lost, you know. Coming from a white girl, I don't want it to turn to white. Ronnie? You know, a very effective way to get change is through hearts and minds. And I think art does that very swiftly with people, whether it's television or artists doing things and adding to the community and bringing awareness. So I would say, you know, keep supporting local artistic endeavors in Evanston to keep that whole community alive. Speaking of artistic endeavors, haven't they decided to move the Custer Street Art Fair out of Evanston? Yeah. I read that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a shock. That's tragic. That is. Of course, it's not anything like it started out. I mean, uh, Eve Noonan and I basically are the ones that started the Custer Street thing, Mm -hmm. only because we were trying to find a way to get people to Custer Street and no one ever went down there. And, exactly, um, there you go. No, it was an amazing fair mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 68 maybe, wow. And you were selling prints, right? Right, yeah. Oh, I made a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> RonCrawfordArt.com. There's a lot happened at 1423. I went right there at that corner. And then, you know, it was close to the police and fire station, but they never had police and fire station issues when I was there. <laughs> That's right. Those are the kinds of things, opening up doors and living on front porches, uh, which was really important for the, the Crawford family. That backyard and those, that porch was powerful. Yeah. And I think that's really the beauty in your work and your commitment to equity and fairness and justice. So thank you for living your creed. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. And thank on you. that note, everyone needs to vote and get rid of this. <laughs> yes. Yes. Got to yep. go. Can I just say one quick thing in closing? I'm sure you guys all heard the love of my life in high school died from mm. the virus, Louis Gonzalez. Yeah. So, yeah so R.I.P. Louis. All right. Yeah. Yeah. This this COVID nineteen is 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 it is not a joke. No, No. it's not. You know, may we all have immunity in community. And I think that we certainly have community. May we have immunity. Love you guys. Love you too. Awesome. Can we do it again tomorrow? Yeah. (laughs) I thank you all for being here. Ron, Sydney, Susie, Jen, Ron, and I, along with Ronnie Whitmore and Mike Duvall, want to thank everybody for coming along. And I want to say, please continue to join us here at Evanston Rules and evanstonrules.com and follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and subscribe to evanstonrules.com so that you can stay up to date. Thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you guys soon.